Hello there. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars show coming to you from a galaxy far, far away. And this week we have some serious Mandalorian canonical goodness as we discuss chapter 11 of The Mandalorian, that is season 2, episode 3, entitled The Heiress. Now joining me, of course, is the man, the myth, the legend, the man that puts the best into best car. It's Mr. Gary Aylert. How are you doing, dude? All right? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, fella. The old best. Yeah, yeah I'm good. I'm good. You're the best around. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. You're, mo- you're much more complimentary than I am towards you. I've, I've noted that over the last few weeks. I should yeah. fix that. Yeah, sorry. I've, I've been take, taking note of that here for a while, actually, the last <laughs> couple of years. But we don't mention it. No need to. Yeah. Uh, Always the same. Yeah. Always the same. <laughs> How's the week been, dude? What have you been up to? I found some Lego. I think a while ago. Maybe maybe six months ago, I'm guessing. The memory's not that great, as you know. Found so I, thought, I must have bought some Lego somewhere, but I found it. You know when you just forget? It's like when you find a tenner in your jean pocket or something after. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't happen anymore. Don't really do cash these days. Sure. More of a plastic card sort of person. Anyway. Contactless. You know how it is. Uh, but it used to be like that. We used to find like money in your jeans, whatever. I found some Lego. I must have bought like this little set at the supermarket, something like that. It's a little Death Star um, scene where you've got like the uh, the um, trapped tractor beam. You know, when Obi Wan goes off to disable the tractor beam, and you got the Death Star gun and all that stuff. So I found that dude. So that's on the plan to do this weekend. And I also found this other little set as well. So when I was in um, uh, Canada year before last. There's this really cool comic book shop in Toronto called The Silver Snail. And they always have loads of really cool um, collectibles as well as comics and stuff. And they've got this Scout Trooper on the speeder bike set. It almost looks exactly the same as the Black Series version that you can get, but it's just slightly larger. And if you want to, you can go to town and you can do like a proper paint job and, and do all that stuff. But so, dude, I've got, I haven't done anything since we last recorded too much in the way of Star Wars, but I have got a Star Wars weekend lined up so i'm going to get those built uh, and then i have to get cracking on with some readings well i haven't read a star wars book in months now so i want to get cracking on with whatever book i had in my reading list on goodreads today so i've got some star warsy stuff planned dude what about you ah good shout man good shout uh yeah similar not done too much star wars stuff this weekend um sorry this week um but i'm kind of i'm in a similar boat to you as the um as regards the books i've got the thrawn book which Star Wars set of books behind me, um, and I've got the Throne book, the one that I ordered. Uh, the is it the, the Ascendancy one that's about the Chiss Ascendancy, the one that came out like three months ago. Blue um, Pages one, yeah, the one with the first run with the blue, blue page, which is a bit annoying because I packed it up to move, and like one of the, some of the blue pages got bent. I was like, ah, are you kidding? <sighs> um, so I've got that to read once I finish the Dark Tower. I'm, I'm on the last book of the Dark Tower, so I'm kind of the same as you. I'm just itching to get to some some Star Warsness. Um, but not too much, really. It's been a quiet week in, in the realm of Star Wars, apart from, of course, The Mandalorian, which we'll get to in just one sec. Now, just before we get to that, a big shout out to everyone that supports us on Patreon, to the team over there, to Sean and to John and to Chris and to Tom and Pascal and Regina and everyone just that supports us over on Patreon. Now, that, that basically is a creator support portal that allows you to donate in varying, varying levels to suit your budget. And it just means that we 
basically we earn a little bit and we can put a little bit back into the show. Now we've 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 kind of just been doing this since day one, and it just it means a lot when you see a new patron landing in there. Now times are pretty tough at the minute, so we appreciate everyone who supports us. And if you do want to get involved and get yourself some swag, maybe some of the old uh, laptop stickers. Oh, Gaz is holding one up on the on the video now. Ooh, Spike Rebellion sticker. Oh, he's got a couple. Cheeky cheeky. You too could have what you can't see that Gaz is holding up on this video call. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion. So go ahead and grab that. It's going to be pretty badass to see that on your laptops and so on. Also, as we discuss chapter 11 of The Mandalorian, the heiress, do let us know what you think over on social media. It's rebellion underscore spark on Twitter and anything else, Instagram, Facebook, whatevs, you can get us over there as well. So just find us and let us discuss. But without further ado, let us discuss Season 2, Episode 3, Chapter 11 of The Mandalorian, entitled The Heiress. And we got a lot of canon in this episode. Now, you remember last week, it was... It's kind of a funny one, this one, because last week I was a little bit, you know, outside the Ralph McQuarrie um, callbacks with the the spiders. And, you know, the the guest starring of Dave Filoni in there as as the the, the X-Wing pilot again. Like, it was a bit of a filler for me, I have to admit. And this episode has just gone to show, in my view, how much of a filler last week really was. Um, Kieran texted me, actually. He was like, dude, I can see how last week really got us to this. I was like, what have you been watching? <laughs> like, they could have skipped last week and just gone straight to this one completely. But anyway, regardless, this really kind of upped the ante. So just a quick recap. The Mandalorian was set to reunite Frogwoman and her eggs with her husband over on the planet Trask, which it turns out is a bit of a sky, a, a bit of a hive of scum and villainy. And you know, it's it's basically a, a bit of a naughty port town post Empire where anything goes. And Mandalorian, obviously, in, in return for sending Frog Lady home, it was a case of the husband knew apparently where some Mandalorians were. Anyway, Cantina. He finds some people, a little bit like Han Solo and Chewbacca were found by Obi-Wan and Luke, to take him over the seas to these apparent Mandalorians, gets betrayed and gets bailed out by none other than, of course, some Mandalorians. And that is where our discussion probably begins, because there's a heck of a lot going on in this episode. And I have to admit, guys, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, even after some of the big reveals, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Here we go again. But... It didn't go the way I thought it was going to do. This is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And <laughs> it was a good episode, man. In the end, it was a good episode. So first first views, you know, we'll, we'll dig into the nuances in a second. But first overall thoughts on this episode, the heiress. What did you think, dude? First thoughts were, we're back on track. I think it's the best way to describe it. Because like Guess you. Guess who's back. Back again. Last week, you, back. you and I were in, were in agreement that it was kind of an on-the-fence episode, right? Where we felt it was a solid bit of Star Wars, but in terms of the Mandalorian, it was lacking in some respects, right? Whereas this week, and like you, I thought in the beginning, I was like, here we go. Jesus, He's brought Frog Lady back to Hubby. They're all happy. And Hubby said, right, go off and do this thing. And I thought, here we go. He's going to be on another travel, <laughs> going off to do something. But... Uh, they threw in the Mandalorian stuff. And then, bosh, well, then we had some stormtroopers and it all felt very, very Star Warsy for a while. And uh, yeah, and it turned out to be a solid action-packed 
And like you said, a can like they threw a bunch of cannon in there as well, which is good. And it really did leave me thinking, oh man, I really want to watch the next episode now. Because after last week, I wasn't too fussed, to be honest with you. I was like, yeah, it's all right. I can, can wait till next week. It's not too bad. But now I really want to see what's going to happen next week. So I think back on track is the best way to describe it for me, bud. What about you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, man. And, and you know, let's get to the nitty gritty of this. The big reveal here, of course, was Sasha Banks um, was indeed playing a Mandalorian. Now, we, we, we wondered who she was playing. I don't think anyone knew who she was playing. Um, but she's now playing someone called Kusha Reeves, who hasn't appeared in any other Star Wars material. But, of course, she's part of the Cell which is run by none other than Burkett and Kreese, or Kreese, however you pronounce it, which was just, it wasn't a surprise, because we all knew this was coming, but it was badass nonetheless. Um, so Katie Sackhoff, um, Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, as, as most people probably know, she's been in so many other genre things, and of course played the voice of Bo-Katan in Clone Wars and reprised that in Rebels as well. Um, she is now out there after the Mandalorian purge. She's looking to reclaim Mandalore and become the rightful heir, hence the title, The Heiress. Um, and dude, it was such a strong callback to tying up a lot of canon because we saw Bo-Katan, you know, obviously Satine's, uh, Duchess Satine's sister, um, which is fascinating, links to Obi-Wan and then back to back to some other Jedi. Um, and just back to Death Watch, back to Maul. And it, you start to see now where Filoni really works with these directors. So, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard, who, who directed this episode, um, she did that fantastic episode last year where it was uh, where it was it, it was on the planet with the um just the kind of where they, they uncovered that big old was it an ATST that they uncovered. So Bryce Dallas Howard is really good at these action pieces and really good at these kind of types of episodes. But what's fascinating is Bo-Katan brought in you can see how Dave Filoni strung together, you know, Disney Plus launched with season seven of the Clone Wars. Bo-Katan was a huge part of the the last half of that, along with Ahsoka, along with Darth Maul, along with Obi-Wan and Anakin, and then boom, she's back saving Jin Darren in The Mandalorian. Um, wasn't a surprise, but it was so good to see, man. And it was so good that they got Katie Sackhoff looking like her and obviously sounding like her. Um, and there's piles more to dig into, but first and foremost... Just how good was it to see the things that we'd seen in the Clone Wars? Everything from the costumes to the voicing to the agility to the colours to the stylistics of, of of this Mandalorian armor. Like it just looked like it had been plucked from Rebels and the Clone Wars, man, and it was in live action. Like how good was that to see? Yeah, that was awesome, man. And you're absolutely right. This has just got Dave Filoni all over it. You know what I mean? It's got one of those because it has such strong links to the animated shows, which he was obviously um, like the daddy of, of all that stuff. And it's really cool because I wonder if he wasn't involved in this, whether we would have as much of it because they didn't have to do so much Mandalorian stuff because we questioned that, didn't we? It was either last week or the week before. We were questioning like, why does he need to go and find the Mandalorian so much? Why can't he just go straight after and, find the Jedi. He doesn't need to to do that. So I wonder if Dave Filoni, if he wasn't involved, if we'd have so much Mandor stuff. But you can tell that his fingers are just all over, all over the story and everything. So to see those guys pop up, and admittedly, I thought we were going to see them later on. I thought this was going to be even uh, more of a slow burn that I thought we were going to get. I thought we were going to get at least another episode where we had some teases 
of those guys. And then they were going to just really rank, um, uh, build it up in sort of the last half of the season. So it was a real nice surprise to see them. And when they turn up on screen as well, they look really good. They look because you, you you kind of influenced already by how they look in the animated show. So that gives you like your your brain immediately thinks, right, they're probably going to look like that. And they do to a large degree. They've tweaked it a little bit. But it's yeah, it's like they've just plucked them out of the Clone Wars and just like slapped them into a live action show. It looks wicked. And then when we saw just the reveals coming through, like who's this person? Oh, it's it's Bo-Katan and who's that person? You know, it's it's really good. And then when she, we'll, we'll come on to it in a little bit, when she does the name drop at the end where she's like, you know, come and join us sort of thing. And he's like, no, I've got my own quest to do. You, you promise you'd, you know, give me the, you know, tell me who the Jedi are. She's like, all right, fair enough. Go and see, you know, that name drop as well. Like to have it all in episode three. It's like, well, because last week I said, there's so much to do. They've got to get all of this Mandalorian lore in there. They've got to get all the Jedi stuff in there. We still need a little bit of progression on what the heck Baby Yoda actually, what's the purpose of this? They've got lots to do. And I was worried about that, but I don't know, not so much, man. I think it's, yeah, it's just really cool to see. And I hope we see them again. I'm pretty sure we must see them again, right? A bit like um, Cobb Vanth. We must see these guys again, surely. We've got to do, because it's all tied around the Mandalorians. And, you know, what's fascinating with this one is that um, they did get to a lot of the stuff very quickly. I totally agree with that. And it was amazing to see the Mandalorians looking so good. Um, and, and they really did. The choreography, again, in this episode, I've got to say, was badass. Like, I was... So the the, the bit when they took on the Stormtroopers, which we'll get to in a bit, where, where Mando just walked down the centre and took all the laser fire, I was... I said to Sam like at the beginning, why not someone just walk down there because the, the armor can probably take it. And then like 10 seconds later, he did it. And it, just to see it was badass. Like he was just getting bashed and he was getting, he was getting, it was like, you know, when you see a T-1000 or a T-800 coming at you and Sarah Connor or John Connor is just blasting it with a shotgun. Like it keeps coming, but it's getting knocked back. You know, it hits its shoulder and its shoulder gets knocked back or it hits its head and its head gets knocked back. Like Mando was the T-800 in that. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, what I liked about this was it, they'd balanced out this Mandalorian um, group because Bo-Katan and her people, which we'll come on to again in a second, they were obviously badass. Like, they've been doing this for a hell of a long time, as we know in the Clone Wars. Like, they've gone through uprisings. They've gone through the Purge, which again we'll get to in a sec. They've gone through the Siege of Mandalore. They've taken down Maul. They've done all the Jedi stuff. Um and it would be easy for them to be the, you know, the hard Mandalorian. So what I love is they put Din Djarin back in the middle of this and said, look, none of these guys have done this. He's the one that's going down and taking all this. Like, he, that's how tough this guy is. So it's, I liked how they gave him a little bit of parity with that. Um, so there was a, a lot of interesting bits out of that. And, and also what was fascinating, because I, I, was, I was a little bit worried where it was like, I need to find the Jedi. And she was like, well, I can tell you about it, but you need to help me. I was like, are you kidding me again? They're going to do a now, they're going to tease us for five minutes, then do another episode where it's just, let's do an inane mission just to pass the time and then we'll reveal something at the end. But it wasn't like that. It was um, it was uncovering this Empire cell. It was, even when Moff Gideon came on, so you had the two, um, you had the two pilots of this ship that was stealing Mandalorian weapons. So it's obviously this, this Empire is trying to build up the fleet, this remnant of the Empire. Um with Moff Gideon at the helm, you know, trying to steal these Mando weapons and trying to build up some sort of armament, some sort of barracks off-world. 
in this ship that doesn't look like an Empire ship, which looked badass, by the way, when it was taking off, like the visuals were stunning. Um, and then you got these two pilots, and then Titus Welliver, who's always brilliant. Like he turns up in everything. The the the, the officer that that, mm. that turned up. like he's just such a badass actor, and he's in everything. Um, so that entire setup was just good, and then it led to it led to just this really quick but badass set of scenes where they took over this ship and just dude, bang bang bang, stormtroopers, Moff Gideon's got a fleet. How does that tie into what? The First Order's doing in the Battle of Jakku. Like, who is this cell? Where is this fleet? Is it the First Order? Is it not the First Order? Like, man, just bang, bang, bang. So much stuff in there to unpack. Topped off by this Star Wars equivalent of cyanide in the mouth, which was the electronic uh, brain melt thing. And just, like, that entire 10-minute sequence was just bang, bang, bang. So it, they really did up the ante with this one, dude. They really did. Yeah, and it felt like I was watching a, a, a Star Wars film in the last, that last 20 minutes, I would say, if it was just like big production, big action. Like, like you said, just visually stunning as well. Like that whole, that whole sequence with that ship, like taking off. And then the whole interior as well was done. Uh, you can tell just like the people that are working on it have just, they just know Star Wars inside out because even the corridors on that um, Imperial ship they look like every other corridor that you've seen or very similar, like on the Death Star or another Imperial cruiser or in a video game. It, they all look very empire and consistent. And, um, and then all the little details as well. Like, you know, the, um, uh, the, the officer that's on the, on the front of that ship, you mentioned the actor's name. I can't remember. Um, and the, and the, the other dudes that are controlling it, you would think that in some way, they would take like the old uniforms from the empire back in like a new hope and update them a little bit, but they haven't. It's like, this looks like the same material, the same design, even like the tacky little plastic uh, switches that they put on there. that look like sort of war medals, if you like, or rank medals, whatever. They still look like tacky little plastic switches. So they've just got that whole thing nailed and consistent, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, that whole scene uh, was just like you said, just bang, 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 one thing after the other. And I think we really needed that in this, in this episode, because the last one was okay to a degree, like fighting the whole spiders thing. That was all right, but it wasn't really like heart racing stuff. It didn't really, you know, whereas this one, it was just boom. It was because you didn't really know what's going to happen with Bo-Katan as well. It's like she was, cause you never quite know with when you have like factions and splinters and stuff of one thing. And, like you said, there's a whole bigger thing around the law here with um, Bo-Katan and the Night Owls and all that stuff. So you never quite know what the agenda is because she could have quite easily have just screwed him over. You know, she could have just got his help, jetpacked off and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, so all that stuff, I think we just really needed it. We needed plenty of action, a bit more law and those characters, man. So no, I agree. It was awesome. And there's a lot of that that is, you know, it's, it's very much for the fans. And, and, and this is what I think Rise of Skywalker did badly, is that, so you look at, for example, um, like you said, the Night Owls. They are, you know, Bo-Katan in particular has got a history of flipping and flopping. You know, in the Clone Wars, she started life as Death Watch um, and, and really, you know, really kind of being against the Jedi and taking you know, taking Mandalore back, wanting to take Mandalore back for the traditional Mandalorians, 
brushed up against Satine a little bit with that. Like, wasn't too impressed with how she wanted to run things. But then in Rebels, flip-flop back, you know, Ahsoka in her first met when Ahsoka whooped her a little bit. And it, it, it's just, it's fascinating to see that these characters have been developed. And this is, I think this is what the Rise of Skywalker could have learned from this kind of writing. Um, if you look at the way that The Mandalorian has been written, in particular, I mean, if you look at the first four episodes, it's all Jon Favreau. Um, and then you've got the next episode, which is, so let's just kind of quickly go through these. Um, the heiress, the passenger and the marshal, so the first three, and the next one is John Favreau, written by John Favreau. The next one's directed by Carl Weathers, which is absolutely badass, by the way. Apollo Creed is directing Star Wars. Let's just (laughs) appreciate that for 30 seconds. Um, Then we've got Dave Filoni written episode and a Dave Filoni directed. Back to John Favreau. Then there's a Rick uh, Famuyiwa, sorry, Rick. And then it ends on another John Favreau episode. Um, And this consistency, I think, is what gives The Mandalorian its, its real edge. And the fact that Dave Filoni is in there, like the last Dave Filoni episode was the Tatooine episode. Like we're going to get a lot of lore with this Dave Filoni episode, the one after next. And I think what the Rise of Skywalker did so badly that the Mandalorian is doing so well is that this Bo-Katan and the Night Owls and um, all of this lore stuff, they needed someone to fill that role in the story. And it could have been any other Mandalorian. They didn't need to put Bo-Katan in, but they knew that it served the purpose for the people like my mum, my dad, they don't know who Bo-Katan is. All they know is that's another Mandalorian. She's got history with the Darksaber and she thinks she probably should get it back. That's all they need to know to progress the story. But guys like you and me, it's like there's a 45-minute podcast episode in talking about this because of what is in there. (laughs) And I think that's what The Rise of Skywalker did so badly where it needed a planet. They created one and they didn't need to. Where it needed a character to serve a role, they created one and it didn't need to. And I just it's amazing that these have come from the same studio. And I think it just it, it just shows the difference between this um the flexibility that you have with a streaming platform, because it doesn't have to please everyone. It can take a few more risks and it's those risks are paying off a little bit. Um which kind of leads us into the big thing. The big reveal, which there's a hell of a lot of discussion about this. So towards the end, Mando does his job. He jets off, gets back down to see little baby Yoda, um, which, by the way, they had some really cute moments again <laughs> this this week, you know. Um, you know, mind your manners. You know what I'm talking about. Like, that's what you that's what you say when you leave your kid with, with your auntie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mind your manners. You know what I mean? Um, but then Bo-Katan offers up, very surprisingly, because I thought we were going to have to go around the houses for this one, very surprisingly, name drops Ahsoka Tano, which I did not expect them to go straight on the nose with it. I thought it was going to be, yes, there's a Jedi knocking about that you might be able to get to probably one day. And it was just, go to this place, forest planet, Caladan's the city, this is Ahsoka Tano, she's one of the Jedi. Which is fascinating, because at this point in the law, you know, she's gone off to find Ezra Bridger, all the Jedi are dead, Vader's dead, Luke's still around and he's you know, Luke's done all his stuff. You, you assume at this point Luke is the badass in the in the galaxy. And Ahsoka Tano must be one of the most important figures in the galaxy. Must be. Despite no one being around and knowing her, the fact that she's got those ties and she's a Jedi of that power and of that legacy, you must think that she's one of the most important people in the galaxy. So for Bo-Katan to give her name and location out so readily 
was a huge surprise, dude. Yeah, and I think that links back to the scene you're talking about where Mando's plowing his way down the corridor, taking all the fire. Because uh, <clears throat> he didn't need to do that, let's be honest. He kind of knew, because he was a bit miffed before that, wasn't he, that she had said, help us get the weapons, and then I'll tell you where to find the Jedi. They did that, and then she's like, actually, I need more help. We're going to take the whole ship. And he's like, that wasn't part of the deal sort of thing. But then he does it anyway. He sacri- well, potentially sacrifices himself. That could have gone horribly wrong, but does well. And I think when he did that, that really showed the commitment and trust from her point of view. So the fact that then she was just straight out of it, like you said, on the nose, go and find this Jedi, Sarkatano, and she's here and here. That was, it was a badass moment because like, I think like all of us, we were thinking surely Osaka is going to, she's going to be like a big reveal towards the end of the season. And that's going to link into season three, probably. So to have her mentioned, and we assume that that's where he's off to now, right? He's got his ship kind of repaired by that uh, dodgy looking Mon Calamari with a very nice fishing jumper. Uh, He's obviously on his way. So we might see her in the next episode. And that would be huge because you can't just, uh, I say you can't, it it would be weird to just have Ahsoka running around with the Mandalorian for the last half of the series. Surely they'd want to build that up to a much more bigger, because she's a big, big old character. She's the biggest, I would say, character mentioned so far in all of seasons one and two probably because all we've had so far is like the odd mention of the odd planet, the empire, the emperor, all that stuff. Here's like a, a tangible character that's going to be on screen. That's, um, and we have no idea how she's going to react to the Mando turning up and all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean the, the, that was the big part of the, even though it was just a small thing, just that name drop, that was the big part of the episode for a lot of people. And like you said, for some star Wars fans, who have not seen the, any of the animated shows, they're like, ooh, who's this? Who's Ahsoka Tano? Who's, who's this person? It, it doesn't, you don't need to go off and, like you were saying, with the rise of Skywalker, you don't need to go and read a book to find out who Ahsoka Tano is. You don't need to go and do that stuff. You just need to look forward to next week. That's the beauty of the the people involved in the Mando. It's got that beautiful George Lucasy feel about it, which is down to Filoni and Favreau. It's got to be. And there's some fascinating things to really unpick with this as well in that, you know, she knew about Anakin being Vader from Rebels. You know, we, we saw that when she cracked his his mask. Um, it'd be interesting to see what state she's in because you would assume, like, this is some of the stuff that we want to see from the Obi-Wan series. Like, what state is Obi-Wan in after he realises that Anakin is gone and he's had, he's had to do what he's had to do and he's fallen to the dark side and he's committed all these atrocities and so on and so forth. And you got to wonder what state Ahsoka's in. <clears throat> so that's fascinating. Also, like, Bo-Katan was eyeing up the child because she knows that that's a Yoda species. Like, because Bo-Katan is Bo-Katan. She's had exposure to Yoda. But obviously it, was, it, was, it wasn't mentioned because that will be the reaction from Ahsoka. Like, that is what this is building to, that reaction of, what is that? That is insane. Like, what is he doing here? What is and not in not? a bad way. <laughs> it's, it's, it will be fascinating to see that because there's so much they could do with this. You know, you've got to think about, like I said, Luke's still running around. Yoda's been dead only five years. Um, Ahsoka's got such a history with 
with a Jedi Force user that looks like the child. Like, that's like bumping into your, you know, someone that you had a relationship with 10 years in and you're like, oh my God, like, what is, this is all coming back to me. Like, it's a, it's a tie to a past life. And then, like I said, you've got Luke Skywalker running around, who also knows Yoda, who she must be aware of Luke Skywalker and someone killing the Emperor and Vader, and something, which was something that she couldn't do, um, and something that Anakin couldn't do, and that Obi-Wan and Yoda and Mace Windu and all these people that she knows and loves couldn't do. And she, her relationship with the Jedi and how she fell out of favour, and like there's so much that can be unpacked with this. Um, and... It does make you wonder, like, which direction they're going to go in with this one. Are they going to start to name drop people like Luke Skywalker? Are we going to start to see um, a bit more of that territory explored? Um, because the name must be out there in the galaxy. You know, we know the name Skywalker was thrown around after the first Death, first Death Star. Um, there's just so much fascinating stuff in there, dude. Um, but let's get to a little bit of an Easter egg, which might be a bit of a red herring, or it could just be an Easter egg. So one thing that pricked my ears a little bit, when Bo-Katan threw out where Ahsoka Tano was, the city of Caladan on the planet, the forest planet of Corvus. Now, to anyone that's played Battlefront, that is a very, 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 very interesting name drop. Because... As far as anyone can tell, there ain't no planet called Corvus, but there is a ship. What are we saying, dude? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because we're doing a bit of research on it. I was like, Corvus. I don't recognize Corvus in terms of a location, but the name certainly rings a bell. Um, but yeah, I think, would they need to, would they need to do this as a, as a, does it need to be a curveball like they did with Sasha Banks's character? Remember in the trailer, that hooded figure and the the narration over the top was the dark wizards or whatever it was. And so they all made us think that Sasha Banks was either a Sith or a Jedi, and that turned out to be completely bogus. So is this that was a very intentional curveball, right? Like a distraction. I don't feel like I don't know, do they need to to do that with this it doesn't feel like it I, I just feel like they've just taken the name of a ship and just use it as a planet what about you I don't know I can't make my mind up because why why bother <clears throat> why not just make another planet up and why link it with the words forest planet which is where the Corvus and Iden Verso and Del Mico who were on the Corvus they were there when the Death Star blew up Rex was there when the Death Star blew up on a forest moon. And then they used the same name as the ship that Iden Verso and Del Mico stole when they defected to what essentially became the New Republic. Mm. It just, I just don't see, I, it, there might not be anything in it, but I just wonder whether it's sort of a, <clears throat> that ship's still knocking around. They're somehow on it. Caladan ends up being a person. And you end up seeing that actually Bo-Katan trusted the Mandalorian, but not enough to blindside Ahsoka insofar as let's send him to somewhere, you know, let's find the Corvus, but let's give Ahsoka the chance to approach this stranger on her terms. So does Caladan, is Caladan a gatekeeper? Is the forest planet that we're thinking about, I don't think it's Endor, but it just sounds, there's too much in it. And I don't see why 
someone of Bo-Katan's military and, and, and mercenary metal would would spring something like that on Ahsoka. Obviously, Ahsoka can take care of herself. But it just, <laughs> I don't know, it just it doesn't stack up right for some reason. Yeah, I love that. Ahsoka, she can handle herself. Yeah. She can sort it. She's got two lightsabers. Yeah. Don't need to worry about that. But no, it's a weird one because, yeah, I think you could be, yeah, now that, now that you've, I think you've, you're actually, you could be right with this, bud. Because what I mentioned earlier about the people that are working on the show and they're just, especially under Filoni, they just know Star Wars inside and out. I think it would be weird to use the name of an already established thing in Star Wars and then assign that to a thing that has it. Yeah, you're probably right, you know, because I think that would be, I think a lot of people would view that as a potential slip up in years to come when they look back on the Mandalorians. Like, why did they call that planet Corvus when there's already a ship called Corvus and all that? Lot? So I, th- yeah, I think you could be right, actually, now that you've spoken through it like that. Um, yeah, maybe you're right. So I think, yeah, the Mando will turn up in that sector, that part of the galaxy looking for the Corvus, the planet, find somebody. He's like, I'm looking for Corvus. And they're like, oh, Corvus is a ship and it's here, you know, and then bosh, that's the episode. See, you know, seeing who's aboard the ship for a start and why he's been sent there instead of a planet. That could unfold nicely, dude. Yeah. yeah. Can I uh, make a prediction on that as well? Because when you look at the directors, I imagine that the next episode, so directed by Carl Weathers, the next episode, I imagine this is another filler where it's looking for the Corvus, needs Grief Karga and Cara Doom's help because Carl Weathers ain't directing any episode that ain't got Carl Weathers in it. So, do you know what I mean? He's Apollo Creed. He's there is all no ego. tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. <laughs> you know what, Rock? You fight great, but I'm a great fighter. <laughs> Best line ever. Um, what a legend. I want him to get that in. You know, Mando, you fight great, <laughs> but I'm a great fighter. And then the Mando's like, what favor? <laughs> oh, oh, dude, can you imagine if he turned around and said, sure, yeah. I haven't seen you in a while. I'll help you out with this one, but when we're done, you owe me a favor. Oh, dude. I'd so on. want that to happen. Like, <laughs> The, I, would, I want that to happen because it's Carl Weathers doing it and it just it turned out like on the next season of the gallery where John Favreau and Dave Filoni are sat there and he's just like yeah that was ad-libbed he just winged it but we left it in <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean I'd love that yeah. anyway <laughs> so we've got um, we've got Carl Weathers um, coming up so we've got we've got Carl Weathers directing the next episode which is written by John Favreau I reckon this is going to be not necessarily not necessarily a filler, but something where he discovers what we've just dis- what we've just discovered and, and talked about. Mm-hmm. The Corvus is not a planet, and I think it's <clears throat> it's maybe him going on this drive around, taking the Razor Crest around, trying to find this thing. Ends up in the sector, um, needs a little bit of help to find this thing. Turns out at the end that it's a ship, and then, dude, the next episode after this is written and directed by Dave Filoni. I, there is no chance on earth that Ahsoka Tano makes a first appearance in any episode that isn't directed and written by Dave Filoni. No chance. Yeah. I think that's the episode we see her. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, man. And even though the Fav monster has written the next one, it will still be great, obviously. He's really, really good at the the solid storytelling stuff. Whereas Filoni, like we've just established, is like the law guy. He's the guy that has all the interconnectivity sorted out in his head already. And now they've given him the opportunity to direct as well as write. 
Yeah, that's definitely that's that's the Ahsoka one, isn't it? Episode five. It's gotta be. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta be. And I'd posit as well that, you know, because you can't <clears throat> I think when, when Ahsoka comes into it, you can't hide from the fact that it, the, the child is connected to Yoda. I mean, everyone knows it as they're viewing it, but the Mandalorian's got no experience with a Jedi, nor has he got any experience with anyone that has got experience with a Jedi, um, apart from Bo-Katan now. And it, up until then, that's been all right. You've been able to, or the Mando's been able to just get through the last 11 chapters, wondering what this thing is, <clears throat> and potentially not really quite realising how important it is. And... As soon as you bring a soaker in, all that's out the window. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. But I also think that they they have to tread carefully with what they do with Baby Yoda from that point onwards. Because one, as soon as Ahsoka sees it and then tells the Mando, if she tells him what that's all about, the cat's out the bag then. that you can't You can't diminish the importance of what Baby Yoda is up to that point. So... Although we've spoken a lot about Mandalorian stuff and lore and Darksaber and Night Owls and, and Ahsoka and all that stuff, we also have to take into account that Baby Yoda's probably going to play a bigger part in the latter half of the season as well. So it will be interesting to see, firstly, like you said, what state Ahsoka's in. Has she hit the drink? Is she depressed? Is she gone like Luke? Is she like, you know, staggering around two JDs in? Or is she like, <laughs> you know... Is she like Luke? Is she like what we hope we hoped Luke would have been like in the Rise of Skywalker or whatever, where he's just like still a badass Jedi, but he's like in hibernation, like Yoda was on Dagobah. She's just like meditating a lot and you know biding her time, sort of thing. So who knows, man? But yeah, Baby Yoda. We can't discount the fact that although he's been kind of used as a plot mechanism just to add the cuteness factor and develop the Mando character a little bit they are going to have to do something with him as well. It's not all about the Mandalorians and Ahsoka. And it does make you wonder, because you see it a lot in, in, in episodes, uh, sorry, in, in TV shows like a Breaking Bad or <clears throat> even even like cheesier stuff, like an old school Smallville or something, where the first half of the season has got a very different, very different feel and very different angle to it than the second half. Um, and again, if you map that all together, if you look at the Dave Filoni episode kicks off the last half of the season. And I don't think that's a surprise. You know, I think the first part's the journey. The next part is the progression. Um, and I think what's curious to me as well is that the role that Ahsoka will take in mentoring the child. Because she's now, what, 45? She's... Is she? Uh, no, she's not. She must be younger than that. So she was, what, 14 when... Uh, 25 years ago. So yeah, yeah, she's probably coming up to 40. Yeah, she was yeah. 14-ish when she she met Anakin. Um, <clears throat> so you've she's now a, a, a she's at Obi Wan's age in Revenge of the Sith. So you know theoretically at the level of Master, um, she's she's been on the hunt for Ezra Bridger for five years, more than that for eight years, nine years, and you like there's so much to unpack with that, and she's got so much more Force experience that when when she equates something of the Yoda species with someone who had Yoda's force, um, the propensity to use the force and that, you know, that just natural ability, it makes you wonder how much of a mentor role she's going to be coming to play because how much of the last half of the season will rely on something like the child using the force powers to do something, you know, whether it's get out of a situation, 
And it's, you know, how many of these pinch points are we going to see where it relies on, look, if you can't use the force, we are all screwed. Mm -hmm. How much of that is going to come into play in that mentorship role? Um, and it's like, like this is the Yoda, the Yoda connection is the biggest thing that they could do in Star Wars, except for putting the a person with the name Skywalker in there. It, there, there is nothing bigger in Star Wars than than that Yoda connection now. Um, so, dude, it's fascinating. But let's just speak a minute for on on the Empire and and the Dark Saber. Um, so we know now that Bo-Katan, the purge took place during the reign of the Empire. We talked about that in season one. Had we seen that? Had we not seen that? There's some stuff from the old legends that were knocking around in, in the Purge. But it turns out now the Purge really clearly happened during the reign of the Empire when Bo-Katan didn't bow to the Empire's rule. So you've got to think about this. You know, she just upended Darth Maul. She'd just gone and found Ahsoka on Coruscant. She'd just got rid of Darth Maul. She'd just sorted out the Darksaber and become the owner of the Darksaber. Probably, you know, she'd had that for a while in Rebels. Um, and... You know, she reigns on Mandalore with this Darksaber. And then the Empire comes along and she says, well, stand by. You know, you're not having this. This is, get out. We've always stood on our own. This is this is not the way. And the Empire just purges it. And with that, it turns out at some point during the Empire's reign, Gideon took the Darksaber from Catan. Um, so that's a nice little plot filler. Um, and, and adds a lot to it. Adds a lot to that Mandalorian mythology. Um... So what about that? What about the Empire? Because this is after Aftermath. This is after the Battle of Jakku. This is after Ray Sloan takes the remnants of the fleet and disappears into the Unknown Regions to start to build the First Order. This is after that, but yet Moff Gideon is running things. He's got a cell. He said he got a fleet. What does, is this? Is yeah. it an old remnant? What's the deal, man? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, if you follow the the supposed canon of the books that you just mentioned, the aftermath books and, and those things, this doesn't get, you don't hear about any of this stuff really. It really just follows a very linear, the end of the empire around the battle of Jakku, all that stuff. And then off they go out rim, build the first order. So this is like a new or an additional take on what's sort of the leftovers, I suppose of the empire, because we had that as well in that really cool trailer that they they released for the Star Wars Squadrons game where you had that uh, TIE fighter and the X-Wing and they were going at it and all that stuff. And when he crash lands at the end, that's after the destruction of the second Death Star. So effectively, the Empire's done, but that pilot's like, you know, it's not over for me sort of thing. So I think what they're trying to do through various things, this and the video games and probably some upcoming books, is this whole concept of, you've got a bunch of believers still, basically. You've got a bunch of people that were very much into what the emperor wanted to do, really on board. So even though he's dead, oh God, it's not, he's not, is he? Even though the empire was thrown down a chute, supposedly killed, um, and the empire is seemingly done, you've got all of these people, pilots, officers, all these people, Moff Gideon, clearly, um, who want to carry that on and just want to keep, you know, rebuilding and stuff like that. So, it's really interesting and not surprising because out of all the millions of people that are in the empire, you've got all these followers that want to keep going in the name of the emperor, I suppose. But at the same time, what was probably going to be more interesting if they carry this on is how we see that fold into the first order. So all of these cells and all these people that are kicking around like Moff Gideon, how they 
go from like, you know, uh, you know, I follow the emperor to now this other dude, whoever that might be at the time. Um, he was the crusty old dude, um, that the clone that the emperor, um, what's his um, name? it was, was it Masameda? Uh, no, no, the, yeah. um, one of the clones, um, Oh, Snoke. Snoke, yeah. So, like, yeah. here's this. Here's this other dude. They don't know he's a clone or anything or a hybrid thing of the Emperor. So, yeah, I think it's going to be more interesting to see how these remnants of the Empire sort of transition into, and if they accept the First Order. There's loads of stuff in this bit, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, when you look at Battlefront and some of the books around Aftermath, you know, taking the Empire down on Jakku, Operation Cinder, um, you know, Gideon didn't see, or at this point doesn't seem privy to Operation Cinder and the plans for that. So the Emperor wasn't including his moths, which is interesting because you would have thought if Tarkin had been around, he would have included the Grand Moths. Um, and the moths are only one level down, you know, the governors of the sectors. Um, so a lot of very interesting kind of mythology stuff to unpack in that. Like, why wasn't Moth there? Was he part of Operation Cinder? It just went tits up. And he, he, he got, you know, he ended up somewhere else. Lots of really interesting stuff that they can do with this. Um, lots of very, very interesting stuff. But two little things just to pick up on as well. Uh, number one, Sabine Wren. The last time we saw her, she was with... Was she with Ahsoka and Hera Syndulla trying to find Ezra? Or is it just Hera and uh, and Ahsoka? Or was she over on Mandalore with Bo-Katan when we last saw her? Uh, I think she was just with Hera. And um, yeah, I think it was just her, Hera, and um, who else? Uh, Ahsoka. Uh, Ahsoka, sorry, yeah. I think it was just those three, right? I think so. And, oh, and Kanan's kid. Her and, her and Kanan's kid. They were out there trying to find yes. Ezra, can you remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was after Return of the Jedi. Do you think Sabine's with Ahsoka? We're going to see Sabine Wren? Um, uh, I'd like, like to say much? yes, but it's probably going to be no. I think we'll get a name drop, but we won't get mm. uh, a character. Yeah, that's fair. And the last thing. You remember right at the beginning of season one? We talked about, why does this Mandalorian not take his helmet off? And all the other ones do. That was finally cleared up. That wasn't a plot hole. That <laughs> was that was, that was was written in now. So um, that was all right. You know, it was it was quite nice to see uh, the, 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 the cell, the Night Owl's cell and, and, and the team. Um, Bo-Katan's team be like, oh, he's one of those, one of the traditionalists, <laughs> one of the old school that wants to bring the old Mandalore back, which I thought was fascinating. That was fascinating. Quite a, a nice reflection on the way certainly the way the way parts of the world are today as well in real life so yeah quite cool man yeah that was a nice little bit that was i think he was really hoping for more of his kind quote unquote and then when they take the helmets off he's like we couldn't see his face obviously but i imagined his little disappointed face his little bottom lip started trembling and oh man you're not one you're not like my you're not like me one of those new fandangled ones yeah it was cool man and did he I might have just totally made this up, but didn't he say something like, where did you get the armor? Like, did he, didn't he think it was like a little bit like Cobb Vanth where they just, they weren't Mandos? Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think he was expecting like true Mandalorians in his eyes. Yeah. And then when they take it, he's probably, ah, oh, more imposters. You're just sort of knocking around in Mando armor. And then when Bo-Katan explains it all, uh, again, really nice little bit of exposition for non, non deep fans. But for us, we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. We know the crack. That's it was quite cool actually because it's um what 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 was cute about it was the fact that like when you think about we we don't know the heritage of Din Djarin and and how much Mandalorian stuff he's got, but when you measure it up against what Bo Katan's done for and with Mandalore over the canon, we're like, 
shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you, proper true Mando? Like, these guys have... They took Maul down on Mandalore. Like, have a word. Yeah, shut up. It's funny, isn't it? Oh, shut up. Yeah, exactly like that. She's probably thinking... And I think you saw that in her facial expression as well. Katie Sackhoff was pretty good at that. Like, when he started banging on, getting on his soapbox about it, she was like, oh, here we go. Gonna have to educate this one. (laughs) Yeah, it was badass. Overall, good episode, man. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're saying? Out of 10, what are we giving it? Uh, 7.5, man, for me. Nice. I was going to go with an 8 as well, dude. So I'm there. I'm in, I'm in with you on that one. Overall... Chapter 11, Season 2, Episode 3 of The Mandalorian, The Heiress. Introduced some really sweet characters. Did a lot of name dropping. Still think there's a lot to unravel as we enter, really, what is the last half. next? The next time is the last half. Sorry, the last part of the first half of The Mandalorian Season 2. I think we're going to see a catalyst in this next episode to take us into the second half, where things, I think, will we'll probably change up. Kicking off with that Dave Filoni episode. Um, so, so far, so good. Let us know what you thought of the Mandalorian this time. Let us know on Twitter, rebellion underscore spark. Let us know on Insta or Facebook. Just search for us over there. And of course, if you want to join the discussion, if you want to dive in and become a patron, you can do so and get yourself some swag at patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion. And if it's your first time listening to the show, welcome. But remember, you can subscribe. So whatever podcast app you use, just give us a little sub in there. And also, if you listen on a browser or if you listen on your mobile or whatever, if you found us on Google, Go to sparkrebellion.com forward slash listen and you'll be able to choose the best place to subscribe. So until next time, that's it from me. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Gaz, always fun to chat to you. Looking forward to next week, my man. Yes, indeedy. Yeah. So as Mark said, thank you very much to everyone that supported the show and new listeners who have jumped on board. Welcome. Welcome aboard the Falcon. And uh, yeah, things are getting good now on the Mando. So it's going to be great, I think, for the next few weeks to go through that. So yeah, until next week, um, please take care of yourselves. Stay healthy and stay safe. And may the force be with you always. <laughs>